welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a sample of what's ahead. From a mental side of things, not necessarily your kit going wrong or your the bike you're riding going wrong, there's lots of elements of telling yourself, I can't do this, or this river is raging, but you need to get across. It's not about just throwing yourself into that river, it's about mentally situating yourself in a way where you can compartmentalize. Okay, that's deep, how am I gonna get across it? It's just about assessing what's happening, take a step back and review the best outcome. Don't just go ahead and do it, but also don't turn away. In this episode, I get to speak with London-based adventure cyclist, Matt Williams. I caught up with Matt one night from his hotel in the French Alpes Maritime during his latest undertaking. Matt's love of nature and the outdoors began as a youth in the Cub Scouts. Much later, following a spell as a competitive cyclist, he began exploring new places on his bike, searching for new experiences and pushing boundaries. I chatted to Matt about the epic Silk Road mountain race through Kyrgyzstan, where he shares the highs and the lows of cycling a route with 37,000 metres of ascent. I wanted to know more about his bike journey through the heart of Iceland too. What was that terrain like and the weather? And what are his top tips when planning and executing these big cycle journeys in remote locations? And how do you balance having a proper grown-up job in London and a young family with these ambitious multi-day cycle adventures? How do you make that work? Nat, nice to meet you. So you're actually uh, on an adventure right now, is is that correct? Yeah, so it's one of, um, in a situation, it's making the best out of a bad one. Um, to give you more context, I was meant to be here for a six-day enduro mountain bike race. Um, so why I'm actually here is because of that. Um, it didn't go ahead just due to, I want to say bureaucracy, but I think it's just probably um, communication and timelines, having said something a year ago and, you know, it not coming to fruition. I have not wanted to linger on the, not, yeah, the disappointment. So I, again, I, I booked a flight out to Nice last year. Um, but last minute I booked this hotel that I'm staying in, in uh, Le Brig, just to accommodate my desire to want to continue to come here and to ride. Um, so that was what I was referring to in making a, a positive out of a, a negative situation, uh, a bad situation, not a negative. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. So, um, so are you just trying to get my bearings? How far from, I'm trying to think where Brig is in relation to Nice. Are you kind of up, up into the mountains a bit? Yeah. So it's in the Alp Maritimes department in Southeast France. So in relation to time, we're about two hours north of nice excellent yeah so that's as i understand that's where um lance armstrong of course is an interesting character used to train with his team out of nice up into those hills i mean there's plenty of them if it was lighter in the day you could already see one of the mountain ranges right outside this window we're in like a punch bowl um it's very accessible to hikers um mountain bikers it's quite a not famous but it's quite a prestigious region for downhill and endurance mountain biking a lot of the french that are currently and previously had been world cup champions in downhill and enduro would come and train here you still see some local legends so i hear i've not seen them myself but they keep telling me they're around the corner nice Hey, well, listen, brilliant to meet you and thanks so much for joining. I wanted to try and dig a little bit deeper and, and you know, find out, um, I mean, were you an energetic kid? Were you always on a bike or did the bike, the passion for a bike come a little bit later? Tell us a little bit about that. No, great question. I think it. I've explained it in a social media post about coming full circle to um, mountain biking specifically. So... I guess when I was younger, it would be scouts and wanting to be outside and always try to find a moral compass or always wanted to find my moral north and applying that to directions and map drawings and 
what they tell you in Cub Scouts and things like that is, you know, what are you serious? And then you get older and then you appreciate it, like how to make a fire with a wood stick and some flint. Um, it always amazed me. Um, so I guess from, you know, eight years old up until 12, I was heavily uh, invested into, yeah, Club Scouts, um, you know, going out on the wilderness experience courses at school, which basically meant you'd go to the local woods with a teacher and several other kids, sometimes more. And, you know, you'd learn the basics of being outside survival, but also just setting up tents, having fun, um, setting fires in a safe perimeter um, and then going on walks. And that was very much a fundamental upbringing for me, being outside a lot, which is, I guess in this generation, there's iPads, things like that. So you can see where the kind of uh, transition from childhood has kind of gone in the last kind of couple of years, uh, last couple of decades, if not more. Um, there was a bit of a gap. I think, you know, education, academia, friends, going out, growing up, there's a lot of, um shift in what your interests are and I think I lost not lost that but I kind of yeah ventured into growing up um cycling was a big pullback for me in terms of finding that blissful simplicity of doing something but on, not on your own but through your own self through your own steam um it's not very relatable to what I was doing in Club Scouts, but being outside, um, it gave me the element to, to have a clear head, to get myself from A to B, um, to meet new people, long lasting friends. Um, and even that, that took a bit of a pivot because life for me evolved. You know, it was from college to university, to growing up, um, hanging out with friends, going on holidays, um, but I came back to cycling in 2011 and it was just before the London Olympics. And I think, you know, from me to you, to everyone we know, if not, there's one person and then other three people we know that was touched by the London Olympics through whatever, whatever fathom of sport was on offer. It brought up that inner child or that inner little, oh, I remember doing that. Um, and it really kind of progressed just more so road cycling and competing, um, which is a great period for me. I really liked kind of being involved or push myself to my limits, but also being humbled by other people and their experience and also their steps ahead of me that I wanted to get to. Um, and then that kind of came crashing down when I couldn't beat my local KMO rival for for you know, for blood or money. Um, so yeah. I wanted to try to explore things outside of cycling and kind of get similarly back to the roots of where I'm, I was referring to about Cub Scouts, like being in the wilderness and gravel biking came around and it was a big boom. So yeah, before the boom, I'd say. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say, so obviously, you know, like a, we're all humans to some extent, we're competitive, aren't we? You know, some people are more than others and cycling is a sport that you can really because of the mechanical advantage you can push yourself so hard on a bike which personally i would say that you know i've done a lot of mountaineering and stuff but the most broken i've been is like when i've been on a road bike and that, that kind of surprised me actually um, um and uh, i've only done like a few sort of low-key sporties but unbelievable how, how broken you can be at the end of that and do you think that you are quite competitive and that got you so far and then you almost had to sort of take a step back? Absolutely. I think in a sentence, it took away the fun aspect of why I started to do it. Um, as, you know, each to their own. But I really love pushing my boundaries. Um, but also I'm very acceptable of my... I'm very acceptable of my flaws or my kind of, you know, imperfections. So I might not be able to hold, let's say, a thousand or two thousand watts for a minute at that time anyway. And that wasn't like a a crushing, demoralizing phase for me. It was okay, I understand it, I accept it. How can I, to your point, improve and be, yeah, better in that aspect? And 
I would look to that, you know, and you got Strava and things like that, and commute, and they'll tell you your or your base, everything basically. And you can look at um cardiovascular exercises or weight exercises to kind of get you to where you need to where you think you need to be. Um so I was always very apt to wanting to get better but not not scrutinize myself or my peers because I wasn't where they were in cycling specifically. Um, but it, it is, yeah, it's a, it's a manual machine, you know, yes, it, it gets you from A to B, but if you're competing, <laughs> you could, you could ride yourself into a cave, you know, in terms of like how much you can put on your body or ask of your body without having the correct nutrition, the correct training. And I think coming out of that to where I am now, like I was saying, full circle, having the, the mindset to be able to step back and assess what were the things that weren't working? What is working? What are other people doing? How can you gravitate to what they say and take parts of it and apply it to what you can do to, to improve? And you, you, um, you're based in London, is, is that right? Or your home? Yeah, London. And do you have a day job? Or is cycling your main thing now? Are you lucky enough to? No, I think in that, in, yeah. So I'm lucky enough to do my day job, but also the cycling as it's kind of, you know, established itself to what it, what type of cycling and style of cycling it is. Road cycling is very, very old for me in the sense of it was, you know, 2012 to 2018. Um, but doing my job and be able, being able to do what it is I do in a pocket of cycling now, I feel very fortunate to be able to do my nine to five Monday to Friday job. Um, but also, yeah, still do or still pursue the style of cycling I do quite aggressively. Um, but to answer your question, I am a, I work in advertising. Um, specifically, I work in automations. So um, it's technology and data. Um, so fortunately, a lot of it's um, uh, platform-based, so things I can access on my laptop. Um, and obviously, as you know, since 2020, with the COVID um, kind of um, pandemic, we've been forced into working at home or remotely or part home, part work. Um, so I, I've been, I say fortunate, but I've been lucky to come out of the 2020, 2021, and two, being able to work 100% remotely. Nice. Yeah, so you're a digital cycling nomad. And obviously, I want to... I like it. ...get to know a little bit about... Yeah, fantastic. And I want to get to know about... We, I think the listeners would love to hear more about your adventures. You've had some really big adventures, too many to cover all of them in this show. But... Um, I think it would be fair to say that you're somebody who's, you know, pushing boundaries is a theme. I think that that we can say that you're all about. And and you, to pick up on, I don't know which trip we could start with, but there was. It seemed like a Kyrgyzstan trip was 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 quite a big trip for you because that was was that just after that COVID was settling down and picking up in that region of where I was cycling. So it was a very much a, you can go there, but we're not too sure on whether COVID will stop the race entirely. So that kind of had an intrepid, um, intrepid, um, not phase, but like time in my training development for the race. Because if you're not going, you don't train as hard, but if you are going, you'll know weeks before. So you'd have to keep training, but also feel like you're not training. Um, no, it, yeah, that was probably, you know, 2020, that was the biggest, um, adventure, but also race, um, that I had ever kind of faced. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the distances and the, what, what was it all about? So it's, it's a race in Kyrgyzstan, probably a very big distance. I'm thinking. Yeah, so it's called the Silk Road Mountain Race. Um, I'm sure listeners will have heard of it or will have, will have soon Googled it after this podcast. For me, it is the hands down biggest, um, hardest endurance mountain bike race that I've kind of 
I'm aware of. Um, outside of the Tour Divide, I've, not, I've never done it, but outside of the Tour Divide, it's probably the biggest, um, yeah, mountain bike race in, in the world. Um, so distance-wise, it kind of, it, it, it gets longer every year, which sounds insane, um, but it was 1,300 kilometers um, in self-supported ride, ride, riding. Um, you could take your gravel bike or mountain bike, depending on which you had, is always the best idea, I say. Don't need, you don't need to go out and buy a new bike just to ride a race. Um, uh, out, not altitude, sorry. The um, elevation of the course was 35,000 meters. Um, and your base level of altitude is 2,000 meters. Um, so you'll fluctuate between 2,000 to 4,000 meters in a day let alone the duration of the 14-day race. What's the terrain like? Presumably you're, you're in the mountains of, of Kyrgyzstan. And... Yeah, so I think, you know, simply put, it's the Silk Road. So it's the old um, Russian kind of connect to China. So it's in a state of disrepair, but it's mountainous, it's rugged. Um, the, high out, the high altitudes don't really help out at all because the air gets a lot thinner. Um, you're summiting over 4,000 meter high um, mountain passes and the air as well as the temperature could be very, very, um, very low or in low supply. Um, but then you come down to the valley floors and that will just pivot and it's 40, 45 degrees Celsius in temperature um, and it's just very humid in the air. But the terrain ultimately is, is off-road. Um, so you're not really riding on grass or um, tarmac, but you're riding on rugged, fat rocks. Um, there's an element of, you know, when mud curdles of water and it creates this like peanut butter slash kind of goo that sticks to your tires and you can't really ride because you've got to scoop out mountains of, yeah, you know, what, what slash you're not selling it well, but it, it does sound like an adventure. <laughs> are you, are you, when you're in this, you know, it's a, is this a race? So there are other people around you, or is it, is it yes. such big terrain? You're spread out with the other riders. So I think, in sense of the race, it does attract that person that wants to push boundaries, as you were saying before, quite correctly. So, um, but it's people that have, um, you know, got themselves to a point where they are looking for a new challenge. Everything they've done so far has been a great challenge and they're just looking for the next kind of step up, right? Um, in regards to the participants, it fluctuates. So I think in the year I did it, did it COVID kind of um, had a input in not, not enabling people to travel from the nations that they were traveling from because COVID may have still been in place where they were. Um, so it, I think it slimmed the field down to 180 people, but they usually have a maximum of, in terms of a maximum allowance of 250. And to answer your question about if we're spread out or together, it, it depends because it's it's a mass start. So everyone starts at the same time. You're a field of people. Imagine 180 people all going at 4 a.m., barely awake, but trying to kind of, you know, get those legs pumping again. And over the course of probably the first day, you do start to string out, but you're only like a matter of two to five kilometers away from each other. I was just thinking that, that if, I, you know, if you're in a race like that, because it's so remote and inhospitable that although you're competing, is it the case that if somebody gets into difficulty, you're going to help each other out, like mechanical issues or a puncture? Or is it a bit like, sorry, mate, I'm, I'm racing against you. You're on your own. How does that work? The difference with these kind of endurance rides or the difference with gravel and mountain biking in general, I think the honourable, gentlemanly, if you're in need, is a lot more, um, it comes around a lot more. So it's more accept acceptable in a sense of, to your question, I would 100% help out someone that had a flat tyre that didn't have the tyre levers or I would happily with the load of equipment and spares I have, lend that to the, the next per man or woman 
that was in need of it because I don't want their day to come to an or their week, two weeks to come to an end because uh, they forgot something or they lost it because the terrain was too bumpy and it popped out their bag. Um, so I think in your to your question, gravel, mountain biking, these endurance events, the 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 kind of atmosphere is very help your fellow personnel. I've been helped out before. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And I'd, I'd interchange that and I'd encourage other people to do that, not only in this sphere of cycling, but beyond that. Yeah, no, that's that, that, that's that's good to hear. And I know like for, for you as well, as well as new experiences and new places, you're, you're also uh, through your platforms uh, and your channels, you sort of, it seems like you're quite encouraging, you know, to, 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 to you know, helping others to sort of, inspire them maybe get them into cycling maybe to share tips on you know because some of the adventures you've done i was just looking at your images recently of, of iceland which just looks absolutely fantastic but i mean a lot of people must sit there and think oh how do you even start to do that sort of thing uh, not not there's obviously the riding the planning the kit how do you carry your stuff um you know do you enjoy that aspect sharing your adventures yeah, and I think that's 100% the kind of crux of what I try to bring across in in any of the articles that I do for the brands that I represent, but also through the content. Just, you know, if you're sat at home and you look through my channel or you come across an image, it's not, oh, that person's cycling, but he's not talking anything about getting there or how he's done this or what limitations he may have felt on on, on his ride. So I'd like to think that anyone that looks at my content, it's not just a a well shot image. It's a case of he's carrying this and this is what the specific kit list is for this particular event or particular adventure ride. But then there's also the element of people ask a lot and I really encourage it to continue. What do you take? How do you take it? How does that affect your packing, your planning, how do you, you know, how do you get around Iceland? And it, it just infuses me to to share more rather than hide things because I don't want to share tips or tricks. Yeah, no, so you, like, I love that bit of inspiring. And I was just thinking that like, obviously you, you, on your I, I, on the Iceland trip, which I, I sort of recommend uh, people listening to go and check out Nat's channel and look at the write-up there on that. So, amazing pictures like really out there and it it looks like you're staying some of the nights in like amazing mountain remote mountain refuges uh i don't know if there was camping there as well um and i'm just trying to think how much weight of stuff you're carrying like you know with your food and i mean on a trip like that i don't know how long was the iceland trip uh it was seven days um uh, it, you know, it could have been longer. Um, I only had annual leave of uh, seven days, so I I made it happen. Um, in regards to luggage, you carry everything you think you're going to need as opposing to leaving things you, you may not think you're going to use. So to your question, I did take a camping setup, which included a, a, a tent, and sleeping mat and a bag. Um, fortunately, and again, you raise a good point. Thank you. I, I slept in um, remote Alpine huts. Um, I guess it was 2020. COVID was, you know, st- not still coming across, but it was not stopping people from taught to traveling to Iceland. Um, that was a benefit in a sense in itself because the mountain huts were empty. <laughs> And there's lots of Icelandic people, um, yeah, traveling or doing staycations in their mobile homes and so on. Um, but in terms of luggage, yes, I did take a sleeping or camping setup. I took um, more than seven days worth of food, just in case, you know, I may have got a bit peckish one night and I didn't have enough left over. I just overcompensated for that. Um I took like mechanical um, supplies such as um, a rear mech hanger in case mine snapped. Um, Iceland is a volcanic island, so it's something that's going to be very 
harsh on your bike and your kit and it's just having those things um available to you because again you're in a remote desolate place in the cent- in the center of Iceland so you can't just go to a bike shop or ask someone else for a spare part um so I'd always say or encourage to take the things you think you may not need and not need them when you and not and don't not have them when you need them yeah I suppose you could go like it's a balancing act though isn't it so I suppose you you, you want to be prepared and have but you, you you probably have to draw the line at some point otherwise you're almost going to have like a spare bike with you what what is the what would you say this is my standard thing so there's just talk us through so maybe spare parts I mean obviously I would think of I don't know you've probably got specific sort of have you got are you on tires that are basically pretty hardy and you're hoping they're not going to fail um yeah just talk us through what you know tools tools and kit yeah so I think to your point you don't want to overload your bike because you've still got to to commute on that bike as well as your own body weight and the heavier you are the ultimately the slower you'll go over a long period of time um so I think you just need to, I've always said to do a checklist, um, other than the bike in its, in its physical together state, you just need to focus on the type of baggage you'd like to take with you. Um, so it could be a handlebar bag, um, a bike frame bag and a saddle bag. Those are the kind of three compartments, if you like, that I'd always take with me. And then I take a down tube, um, like a, mechanical kit it's not very big it just sits in a mundane part of the bike or a mundane a disused part of the bike so it's not affecting your handling or um, um, accessibility it's just it holds your tools and things like that you'll need so to go through the packing it's always started for me with where am I sleeping what components or what pieces of uh, what products do I need and it always start with a sleeping bag debate or over a a bivy um depending how remote it is taking in weather factors the worst the weather is i'm going similarly like to iceland i'd opt for the tent um if it's summer or if it's a kind of chilled chilled temperature at night i'd opt for the bivy um in this instance i opted for the tent um i also took a, a my thick 800 uh wrap sleeping bag um and a ground mat and a, and a pillow you can never excuse comfort especially when you're sleeping on the floor um the pillows sleep it's I'm, with, I'm with pillows, you on the pillow that's that's a great idea yeah they, they kind of fold down into you know size of a paper a paper bag um so they yeah it's a luxury on the road but if you can get one of those in do get them in um and then there's just kit i always opt for the one pair of kit I can maybe rinse the base layer off in, in, you know, in the river or something and hang it to dry, but take as much as you think you're going to need. Um, so rain cover in a sense of like a, a rain jacket or waterproof jacket, depending on, again, a number of factors such as how heavy is it, is the rain going to be? Um, how mild is the temperature going to be at night? Opt to take maybe a, two season jacket or a Gore-Tex jacket, but knowing the weight differentiation might make it a bit more hotter and you feel a bit more um, sticky in a Gore-Tex jacket because they're quite thick. Um, So again, there's a number of parameters that you should probably take into consideration. But for Iceland, I took a a Phantom, a Rab Phantom um, pullover. So that was the quite light, but also um, water or is it waterproof um, layer? And I felt that was sufficient enough because it didn't impede me from being able to ride for long distances and sometimes fast because it was breathable. It enabled me to not sweat too much, but it also acted as a, a, a kind of a, a windbreaker as such because it's quite the, the material that they that Rab use. It kind of gives you that kind of, uh, it gives the, the, the product that effect of wind not really coming in but it's still breathable it, it messes in my mind and how that happens but i i don't know any more than that so that's what the, the effect it gives me i can ride with it and not sweat too much because it's breathable um 
I obviously opt for a pair of bib shorts. I do take um, leg warmers just in case I'm riding through the night or if it gets a bit chilly. Um, and obviously I take the, yeah, the, 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 the SBD uh, mountain bike shoes, but you can take flats or um, you can take any other type of pedals you use to suit your footwear. And what bike did you have, Nat, on that? Did you Was it a gravel bike type of thing or...? Yeah. Yes, at the time it was a gravel bike. Um, so it was a just a, a, I say generic, but they all come in different kind of formats now. Um, but it was a generic, generic uh, gravel bike. But I, de- I de- deployed, well, I installed a range of mountain bike components. Um, I went for like a, a mountain bike drivetrain. So essentially a big, big cassette to get me up the gradients across Iceland but also I was able to spin quite easily with a small chain ring because the, the the kind of terrain in Iceland's not hard tarmac it's kind of like volcanic ash and things like that um I also had 2.1 inch tires so they were quite fat and chunky um again offered a significant comfort in a sense of your um, your 32 millimeter gravel tires that would normally come with a gravel bike, um, but my my gravel bike did have a a big clearance to to allow me to do that. I can't imagine how many calories you're burning up on on some of these days. Uh, basically, a lot. So you 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 sound like you're pretty scientific. So you've probably got an idea of like, you know, each day. This is how much work I've put in. This is, you know, I need to look after myself. There's no good, it's no good having a couple of big days and not eating properly, is it? Cycling is just incredible how much fuel you can throw in there. That's true, but up until this day, I still get it wrong. There's no right way other than looking at the numbers. Um, but if you want to sometimes feel blissfully naive or just go with how you feel, I go through large chunks of times not really wanting to get anything down me because I'm not hungry. And, you know, if you are not hungry, force feeding yourself isn't kind of the best thing to do if you've got a long distance to go. But also not eating is is, is a bad thing because um, you won't be able to feed the engine to keep going. Um, so for food, I think the, the kind of average calorie output would always be like 2,000 calories. Um, so I knew I'd always be at a deficit because you can't really squeeze an extra 2000 calories in your body and as i was saying you're not going to want to do it because you're not hungry or you have no desire to put any gel blocks or you know um sachets of electrolytes down your throat because you're just not you're not hungry right um but yes i always knew i'd be riding in a a calorie deficit um but i'd always know my my cues so every 40 minutes nibble um various oat bars, um, various um, like high high calories or high um, protein chocolate bars. Um, they were kind of set. So I had like, I think 15 of them um, as a kind of, um, uh, how do you call it? As a, not a regime, but like, in my kind of food supply, I allowed for 15 of these to kind of chew on when I'm riding as well as having um, electrolytes in my drink. Um, but so the main part was taking dehydrated food packs. Those were the kind of feeders for me at the end of every day. And again, when I refer to calorie deficit, they can only pack up to 800 calories. And as I was saying, I was burning up to 2000 a day. So I'd always know that at the end of this ride, I would have either lost a lot of weight or, um, yeah. But I, I, I rode enough and ate enough to kind of get me through each day, basically. Yeah, and what do you must have, on, on some of these trips, I'm thinking these, we, we've talked about Kyrgyzstan, we're talking about Iceland. There must be times, uh, even as motivated as you are, where you have, you know, tough times for whatever reason that is. Um, you know, how do you deal with that? 
you know, and you kind of, some the bike breaks or so, you, you get lost or there's suddenly a massive river or you just think, oh, you know, so there's all the physical side, but have you got any tips or things that you've learned that you sort of, your go to get you through? From a mental side of things, not necessarily your kit going wrong or your the bike you're riding going wrong. There's lots of elements of, telling yourself I can't do this or this river is raging at probably 35 kilometers an hour I can't really gauge how deep it is um I can't do this or I'm I yeah but you need to get across this river as if, if I can use it as an example um I was probably four days into my icing crossing um and there's a divide, literally a crack between Iceland that kind of makes the Great Divide. Um, and there was this rapid river, you know. I was riding on a high up until that moment. Um, there's lots of cars probably a 500 metres to my left just wading through. And I'm like, whoa, that's cars going almost like submersive. <laughs> and I'm meant to find a, a patch of river to get across. So my point I'm getting at is, it's not about just throwing yourself into that river. It's about mentally um, situating yourself in a way where you can compartmentalize. Okay, that's deep. How am I going to get across it? I've got a bike on my back. I've got electrical shifting on my on my bike. So making sure that doesn't get wet um, while I was on my back. Um, there's also this tide that's just quite ferocious. Um, and I think... As a tip, it's just about assessing what's happening. Take a step back and review the best outcome. Don't just go ahead and do it, but also don't turn away because for whatever reason, I think you should always just try to evaluate your situation, compartmentalize it, and just give it a rational think. Whether it takes a minute or an hour, just think and be able to think on the go is, is quite good because, as you said, Many things can go wrong. I, I would you say you're quite a logical, methodical thinker naturally, or is that something you've developed through your adventures? I think it's a bit of both. There's very pr a practical mindset that I have in my day to day life, but it doesn't mean it always applies to a chain breaking, or my rear hanger snapping, or you know, I'm 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 falling to the ground in in heat exertion and um, cramps. You know, you kind of, you got to think in, in, in situ in those instances. And it's, it can be sometimes scary. I remember, I think I was in the Alps and doing a, a mountain bike endurance race called the Hope 1000 in Switzerland. And they had, you know, record, record high temperatures. And as much as I was engulfing my food down and drinking um, supplements I my body just kind of shut down and it really went into a kind of a cramp um, I couldn't really exp I can't really explain wh why it was but I think it was due to that factor being it was really hot and I may or may not have been eating the correct amount or I hadn't in, in at that time but all practical thinking went out the window you know I kind of fell to the floor everything in regards to like shoulder down was cramping up and seizing up. I tried to get up and I tried to stretch it. It would go. Um, so having that practical mindset that I was referring to in my day-to-day -day life, it goes out the window. I think it's just about compartmentalizing various aspects of the same thing and trying to deduce what the issue is in that sense. So the practical mindset does kind, kind of come back a little bit, but Again, you don't really know what's happening. You just need to think how you can get through this. Um, but it's never easy because, you know, these type of things, when they happen, it's quite spontaneous. Sure. And to jump a little bit, I mean, are you a, you're a family man these days. Is that correct? Yes. I um, have a seven-month and one-week-year-old baby girl. Baby girl. What's her name? Uh, it's Lola. She's not a showgirl. <laughs> no. And Lola, I mean, do you, how's that now when you're away or you, you know, I mean, is it the sort of thing that when you're riding and you're focused, 
that's fine. But if you just maybe in the evenings, you're sort of missing or what's, what's, or are you actually, or is it nice to have a break or what's your take on it? <laughs> nice to have a break. Because I didn't mean it like that, but I mean, yeah, yeah no, no, I, no. I, just, I was thinking of my other half if she hears this back and no, I said, yeah, it's just nice to have a break. <laughs> I just remember when I was a mountain guide working in Chamonix a lot and, uh, all the people with young, really young babies, when they used to say, who, who wants to go and work up in the high mountains for a week? Basically, so you're staying in the huts and all the, all the, young, <laughs> the, the dads with the young kids would be going, me, me, me. They're, they're, they're basically, they'd rather, they're just trying to get a good night's sleep, which you don't have to tell me the truth. But no, but I mean, it must be great. And, uh, and, and linked to that, well, yeah, let's answer that. And then I've got another question. So what, yeah, how, how does that make you feel doing your remote adventures? Presumably, it's like, yeah, you want to make it count because you've got the time off work and you've got that time off a little bit of a break uh, from everyday life. So you, you, you want to make the most of it. Yeah, I think, first of all, she's an absolute delight. You know, um, there's obviously been sleep deprivation at times and it's been hard to juggle. But in, in a nutshell, she's an absolute delight and a blessing to be added to my life and to be able to call myself her dad um i call myself her rad dad but um <laughs> my other half slightly disagrees with that um being on these remote or sometimes like um self-supported trips it just gives me an extra gear um i'm always in contact whether it's through my satellite phone or through text if i can get some cell coverage and I'm showing her through mum, you know, what daddy's doing and hopefully it can inspire her from a very young age, just content she can go through later. Because obviously she's seven months, so she won't know what's happening. Um, I feel like it's given me another limb like, of like, or like just another like, yeah, another gear to, to do what it is I do and get around and just, again, to revisit the inspiration part of, who I can inspire because um, it's it's more than me it's you know I want to make sure not make sure I would like to think that anyone that looks at my content is inspired at least uh, if not inquisitive to how I've done it what I've done um, but curtailing back to Lola it's been it's been interesting in a sense of like getting away um, I think you've have to apply a layer of methodical a methodical approach so not asking for time away but saying you know what are we doing in a month's time um am i able to squeeze this in and you know if, if it doesn't work out then we'll look at doing new dates because what i do is quite fluid it doesn't have to be you know september 1st for example um so yeah it's it's been interesting to kind of continue to get out on my bike for training but also on trips like these where I'm away for a week off end um there's no real blueprint approach to it I guess I think if you're able to do it and you have the desire to do it and you have also fundamentally the support from your family that's been a real kind of um a figurehead for me like having the support of my family always um sometimes it's very easy to be like okay no i'm not doing this because i'm going to be away back to back weeks let's choose the bigger picture ideas and do them so i have a bit more of a yeah um quant quality over quantity approach nice and my final question is do you do you find it easy to chill or are you the sort of guy, you know, that you, <laughs> you, you need to be out on that? You need to be out on that bike pretty often, to be fair. So, I think with being, you know, seven months into having a new addition to to our family, there's definitely been moments where I've needed to exercise, chill, and not go on the nat tangent of can we do this? Can we do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's a case of just being a bit more mindful, I guess, but still itching to go yeah yeah and I, 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 a tip that a friend of mine said that a mountaineering friend that but he would go off when he had a young family that even if he had a bad trip and that could be because like the weather was bad and so they couldn't do the objective or anything like that he said that his tip was that you know you come home and you you 
you, you've always had a great trip. Because if you come home and you're miserable and you're going on about, oh, I couldn't even get on the mountain or whatever, then the family might say, well, God, blimey, you've been away for all that time and you come back. So, uh, well, no, yeah. it's true. And it is, it was very lucky. And if you, if you can balance, you know, having a happy family and getting away on these short but intense trips, um, I think that's, you know, great if that works for you all. Well, no, exactly. I think ultimately everyone in any family that does anything similar to what we do in regards to the great outdoors or does something slightly different, there's, to your point, there's that balance. Um, and if you're happy, everyone else is happy, but also vice versa. Never wants to be unhappy or being stressed out because one person's away too much. Um, so I think having a really good connection, a really good supportive unit, great communication. And fundamentally, I always want to be back with my baby girl, but there's always a, an itch to scratch to be outside. Can we look forward to seeing some uh, reporting on some sort of slightly crazy family adventures involving bicycles in the future? Yes, there's this, um, I forgot the name of it, but when, when I think Lola is like a year old, we can get this like attachment that goes into the mountain bike, um, which is like a, a footsie or one of those trolls or troll, if I'm pronouncing that right, they have, they have a version. Um, so yes, you can. I think having the ability to encourage my other half into bike riding slash adventures is is an all-time high for me so I know she'll enjoy it and also Lola enjoy it and we'll always probably try to fit in you know camping trips away as well as cycling days um we've actually been on a family holiday that I posted maybe last year we went down to Wales for a um, gravel race so again it was about dad but we incorporated the family around it as well. And we had a lovely two days in um, Penlith in Wales, actually. And they loved it. You know, because being outdoors, nature, the kind of the quietness from comparison to like London, where it's quite loud and there's a lot going on. Yeah, and I guess your, your experience of the Scouts, I mean, that's where I started with the outdoors as well. And uh, in, in a sense, you come full circle, can't you, you know, yeah, yeah, 100%. I think it's just, I don't know, I've always been fond of being outside. And even today, I was in, um, where was I? I was in the French Alps, and I was descending into a small town called Begu, which is a medieval town, which is the smallest but also last populated village in that region. And the quietness in relation to construction or transport or people, just birds tweeting and, you know, wildlife kind of at, in rife. It was just nice to kind of sit down and look out and just almost meditate. It was just, I just like those peaceful, peaceful environments. Beautiful. I mean, I've had, I've just, I think I've only been to the Alp Maritime once and I was just blown away with it. And the weird thing was that we drove in along the coast where you've got all those super busy towns like Cannes and that are really famous. And it was like, I couldn't wait to get out of those places and get up into you and those me both. really small. Yeah. And it's weird, isn't it? Fortunately for us, most people, they want to be on the coast and the, you know, and the fancy boats and cars. And It's when I arrived in, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was on the coast of Italy earlier on today before I got a train back to the French maritime place where I'm staying and people were sunbathing and I kind of turn up slightly rugged and disheveled from my 60 kilometer mountain bike race, mountain bike ride from today. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Absolutely. Simple life. Yeah. I think there's, I guess the balance thing comes into it. Like I love being in London and I love the work I do and, um, yeah, that kind of part of my life, but I also like, this other area of my life that I've cultivated as well, where it's, you know, usually remote in the sense of where the places I visit and I don't usually travel with lots of people. There's not a preference to that. It's just, I have modeled myself off that based off someone I really hold in high regard. 
Um, she's called Jenny Tuff. Um, Scottish slash Canadian lady is an absolute rebel in the sense of ultra endurance cycling, mountain biking, hiking, an outdoors enthusiast. And she's just been like a kind of focal. She can do it. You can do it. I can do it. We can do it. Let's go and go outside and enjoy the great outdoors. And it's those survival instincts from, I guess, Cub Scouts in a sense of how they kind of present you these um, uh, ex- ex- examples of how to do things on your own, like how to start a fire or how to find the nearest town, follow the river rather than going away from it. Um and she's just a kind of staple of you can do it. And if you dream it, if you think it, go out and do it. And she's just always given me that kind of comfort feeling of wherever I am, I can do it. So if I come up to against adversity or a, a, a raging river, or if I need to get across a Marytown mountain, yes, it's hard, but um, failure... Um, sorry, pain lasts, doesn't last forever. Um, so it's one of those mindsets where you go through pain a little bit and then an hour later you're sitting back at home or back in your tent and it's over. Brilliant. Nat, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, I'm a, uh, to chat with you and uh, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, role models and, and heroes, heroines, they, they are important, you know, and, uh, and I think thanks for sharing that very, very humble and no, keep absolutely. inspiring people keep posting those amazing shots and uh, i'm aware that you probably might need to eat some fine cheese and drink a bit of wine get yourself <laughs> powered up for another day in the altmara team tomorrow i'm not jealous at all no but seriously have an awesome time and uh uh yeah look after yourself and uh enjoy your time as a dad and uh we'll catch up soon yeah, thank you very much, Andy. And thank you very much for having me on. Um, really appreciate it. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon. Stay tuned.